Oh, good morning. Good to see those who are present out with us today. These are the sermons that you don't plan to preach, and then occasionally you have to preach. We're going to talk about our response to the situation that we're dealing with. A sermon like this is being preached in many congregations uh, throughout our brotherhood this morning. I'm sure everyone will preach it a little differently. I'm sure everyone will look at it from a little bit different perspective. But from the outlines I've been seeing going around from some of my preaching brothers, I have a feeling that the points are all ultimately getting to the same place. These are certainly difficult times for our communities. They can be challenging times for the church. But this is not the first time in the church's history that it's had to face challenging difficulties. Even those things that come not by virtue of the deeds of man, but by virtue of the course of this world. Do you remember the collection that we talked about, in particular in 1st and 2nd Corinthians? Do you remember the purpose of that collection was to primarily help, especially the saints in Judea and that surrounding region because there was a famine in the land. In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 11, and you read verses 27 through 30, it says this. And in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. The church had a problem. It was facing disaster that was by virtue of simply the course of this world. There have been famines before that time. There have been famines since that time. And yet the church did what the church does. It said, we have brethren in need. Some of us have the means to meet that need. We're going to do it. They didn't panic and run around and say, oh no, the sky is falling, the world is ending, the world's only going to end when the Lord comes back again. They just did what they could do to help the situation. You know, just a few chapters earlier in Acts chapter 9, we, we see again a brother in Christ, this time Saul. And the trouble he's facing is actually from people, right? From, from other individuals and he doesn't stand before them and, and act foolishly. He escapes, doesn't he? Acts chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Paul sort of showed some prudence there in the beginning, didn't he? Wise as serpents, harmless as, as doves. He showed some wisdom. There are other times where he'll walk straight into it, aren't there? There are other times where he'll take the persecution head on, but he had some perspective. You know, Brother David Lipscomb wrote regarding a cholera outbreak following the Civil War. He wrote an article in the Gospel Advocate in 1873 detailing some ideas around how those brethren ought to behave themselves and in fact rebuking some brethren who did not behave themselves so well in regards to responding to an outbreak of a disease, much like what we see before us today. You know, we are God's people. We are God's children. The church has been through a lot of difficulty before, both from within and without, from the world and from people themselves. 
And it, if it's allowed to stand, if God wills this earth to be, it will encounter things like this in the future, won't it? This is not the beginning, and it certainly isn't the end, and yet the brethren have persisted through faith, through service to God, through obedience even in the difficult times. They have persisted. With difficulty, there is a chance to grow, isn't there? We're familiar with James chapter 1, especially verses 2 through 4. My brethren, you've on a various trial, count it all joy. Knowing that the trying of your faith ultimately what produces patience. Spiritual endurance. The ability to keep on keeping on. Well, these are certainly times of trial and difficulty. And yet there's an opportunity here for us to grow in faith. To learn to wait upon the Lord. To understand that this is an opportunity for our faith to shine. So today, three points and three points alone. Faith, not fear. Selfless love, not selfishness. And light, not darkness. Three ways in which Christians can respond to the current situation in which we find ourselves. Faith, not fear. Selfless love, not selfishness. And light, not darkness. Let's talk first about this idea of faith, not fear. Why don't you turn over to Romans chapter 8. And not to the verses we just read. We're going to get to those in just a second. But a little earlier in the chapter in verses 12 through 17. It says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not in the, to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children and heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Now the brethren in Rome, no doubt, and throughout the kingdom, they had suffered some difficulties at times. And Paul in various books as well as Peter will remind the saints of who they are. Remind them here explicitly, he says, not to fear because we haven't received a spirit of bondage but the spirit of sonship. He says, when the times get difficult, remember who you belong to. Remember whose you are. You're a child of God. If indeed we suffer with Him, we may also be glorified together. Our hope is ultimately not in this life. That's why he says, put to death the deeds of the body. You're not living for the things that are below. You're living for that which is above. Now, as God's children, yes, we're stewards of this life God has given us. And yes, we need to be prudent in how we respond and conduct ourselves in times like this. But we cannot forget whose we are. We're sons of God. We're not under bondage to sin. We're not under bondage to this world at all. In fact, we have hope beyond this life, don't we? We have hope in Christ. And not just are we sons of God, but being sons of God and heirs of God, we in Christ are, well, we're blessed to know the love of Christ, aren't we? We're blessed to know the love of Christ. The scripture reading this morning 
Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, the Apostle Paul runs through basically a laundry list of those things that afflict mankind. He includes in that list distress and famine, doesn't he? He talks about things that come on us from without, and famine is something that, generally speaking, is outside of man's control, isn't it? You know, you and I face the affairs of life every day. We face hurricanes that have threatened to, to rip Hampton Roads apart. We have faced tornadoes. Some of our brethren just went through those things, and then a few days later, you know, just the other day, they had more severe storms rolling through that region. Can you imagine? I mean, just experience all that you did to have severe thunderstorm warnings or tornado watches and such things back up again a week later. It's nothing new for God's people to be facing difficulties, is it? And yet Paul says, I'm convinced that none of this can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're not just sons of God, but in Christ, we are those who know the love of God. And so when we talk about faith, not fear, we're talking about real remembering whose we are and what we have in him. We're talking about understanding that no matter what happens, those who are his are safe in his hands. Not free from affliction, not free from the difficulties, not even free from physical death. But free from the second death. Free from the condemnation of those who are outside of Christ. In fact, you go back to verse 1 of Romans chapter 8. It kind of sets up the entire idea here. Where there is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. We live in faith knowing whose we are. Knowing the love that we have in Him. And we think about some of the Psalms that we know so well. Think about Psalm 23. It's probably a song that you've been quoting since your childhood. You may have had a bookmark at some point with it on it. You, you probably at some point in Bible class perhaps had to memorize it if you grew up around the church at all. And there's a line in that song that we talk about often. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What does he say? I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I've read some commentaries from uh, those of Jewish background who, as they explain this idea of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, describe it as basically being a metaphor for all of life. And, and perhaps they're right. That for mankind, there is a realistic reality that every single day we are on the verge of entering into eternity. And yet the psalmist says, I will fear no evil for, for you're with me. You're with me. Now he talks about all the blessings that God gives him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He talks about all these blessings that he has. And then he says, because I'm blessed in God, here's the thing. I know throughout this life I walk with him. And so though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil. He knew whose he was and so he didn't fear. We're children of God in the love of God. We walk with God. That's why we don't act by fear. We don't panic. 
We don't let this ruin our lives. In fact, if you've been watching a lot of Fox News and CNN and MSNBC, and such, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to turn it off a little bit. If you want an update on the situation, go to the CDC's website, the Virginia Department of Health. They'll give you some up-to-date information that is helpful instead of showing you all the shelves without any toilet paper. By the way, if you're that low, brethren, we got a few extra rolls. We'll send one with you. We want to make sure you give us a TPL. But what we see is panic. But what we know is comfort as the children of God. Because we walk by faith and not by sight, right? This is who we are. And in times like this, we're called to, to lean on that even more, to, to be people who walk by faith and, and not by fear. And certainly there's some judgment to be had in these times, and, and there are decisions that have to be made, and, and each of us are going to have to make some of those decisions to how we manage things and do things. We have some who weren't here this morning because they've made some of those decisions. But whatever decision we make and whatever reason we make it, needs to be, yes, out of a prudence for the stewardship of our souls, but realize, of our lives, but realizing we serve a God who loves us and who knows us. And Peter would say in 1 Peter 1, 6-9, times of difficulty are times whereby our faith can be proven to either be genuine or to be fraudulent, basically. But if we hold on by faith, he says we'll receive the, the, the end of all that, that God has planned, the salvation of our souls. Faith, not fear. But here's a second way in which we can respond to these difficult times. Selfless love, not selfishness. Did y'all see that New York Times article about the two brothers who took a 1,300 mile road trip and bought out, as soon as the first case of coronavirus was confirmed in America, bought out every single bit of hand sanitizer and sanitizing wipes, everything else they could find, and then turned around, was selling the mask and everything else on eBay at exorbitant measures. Said, well, we just saw a business opportunity. No, what you saw was an opportunity to take advantage of your fellow man. And now they can't sell it because eBay banned them, banned price gouging, and Amazon shut it down and started kicking people like them. There were others as well off of the stores. And they had a picture of one of the gentlemen in front of his storage unit with literally cases of supplies that you can't find on any shelf anywhere. And they'd driven 1,300 miles through many states and small towns collecting everything they could find so they could resell it. And now they can't do anything with it. He said, well, I just hope my family, I wanted to get my family more financially stable. This individual admitted he was already making a six-figure salary. Oh, that's selfishness. That's greed, right? And these times we'll always find individuals like that. But as Christians, we need to be selfless in our love. You know, we're called to love our neighbor, aren't we? We're told that there are two great commandments in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. We're told there are two great commandments. But, but remember the, the impetus behind this entire conversation. Go back there with me to Matthew chapter 22. And, and look at verse 34 beginning. Look at verse 34 beginning. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus' response comes, um, 
in, in the context of individuals who aren't genuinely seeking any, any genuine knowledge. And yet he answers with truth, doesn't he? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Paul repeats this same teaching in Romans chapter 13 as it relates to how we interact with it and treat one another and all men. Turn over there in Romans 13 verses 8 through 10. He says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And I want you to notice how he describes in the last verse, love does no harm to a neighbor. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Love actively seeks good and avoids harm. We're familiar with the Good Samaritan, aren't we? The one who took of his own means to help someone else when they were in a desperate situation. Luke 25 through 37. And you remember how that account comes to be, don't you? How that teaching originates? In similar fashion to Matthew 22 with Jesus talking about the two great commandments, here we have someone again trying to understand things, but the measure here is more genuine, isn't it? In Luke chapter 10 than in Matthew 22. And yet the response is going to be telling for us because this individual in Luke chapter 10 who is asking the question doesn't necessarily know the answer he's going to get. In Luke 10, 25, behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, That is, Jesus said to the lawyer, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. This man knew, didn't he? He understood exactly what was the essence of what God was commanding man to do. To treat to, to treat his fellow man well and to serve God in faithfulness. It, it, that's the summation of the law. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. But the lawyer wants to go a step further, doesn't he? He wants to justify himself. So he says, who is my neighbor? And, and we know how the story goes, don't we? A priest comes down the road. A Levite comes down the road. A Samaritan comes down the road. The priest and the Levite, they're... The servant of the temple and the direct line to God, the priest, they don't do anything. But the Samaritan, the, the mixed breed as far as the Jews were concerned, he did something, didn't he? He took the man, he bound him, he dressed him, he put him upon his own beast. He took him into town, he found him lodging, and he paid for it and said, anything else that's needed, I will care for and then Jesus asked a question at the end, verse 36. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him and fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do 
likewise. To love your neighbor isn't just to avoid the ill, but it's to do the good. It's to do the good. Maybe you have an elderly neighbor nearby that you know who doesn't need to be going out. Who is at much higher risk than perhaps you are. What if you offer to get them some groceries if they need them? What if you check on them to make sure that they have the supplies that that they need and and if you have the means to help, to help them have what they need? That's one way we can show love to our neighbor during this time, isn't it? It's one way we can show some help. We have members in the congregation who may come to be in need. Are we going to be willing to reach out and meet that need? By the time this is said and done, depending on how bad it gets or doesn't get, who knows what the consequences will be for individuals financially and otherwise. Will God's people be there to comfort and to help? That's the question. Will will we show love during the course of this and afterward? Or or will we turn inward and only look for our own needs and our own concerns? Say, well, I've got what I need and and then some and I, you know, We've got to be careful how we approach this, right? There's selflessness and there, there is selfishness. God's people are called to love their neighbors. It's a testimony to Christ that in almost every age, those who have named his name, whether in fullness or not, have often been on the front lines of the response to humanitarian need. Whether it's the establishing of hospitals or schools or simply in communities being the first ones willing to reach out to those who need the help, even in many instances at risk to themselves. And then even more poignantly, brethren, we're called to love each other, aren't we? See, it gets even more specific, not just love your neighbor, but also love your brother and do it with deed, not just word. First John chapter three, read verses 16 through 19, because the demonstration, the illustration of that for us is the offering of Christ. His sacrifice. John uses that and says, you do likewise, basically. If you see your brother in need and you're not willing to do it, do something about it. You know, if you read the article from Lipscomb, I'll try to remember to send you the link. He was chastising some of his wealthier brethren for turning their backs on some of their poorer brethren in their time of need. I don't want to stand before God. I know you don't either in judgment and be asked when you saw this one in that situation and you had the means to help. Why didn't you? How can Christians respond? Selfless love, not selfishness. And let me add one more and we'll we'll close this out. Light and not darkness. We know Matthew chapter five, don't we? Sermon on the Mount, verses 14 through 16 in particular. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When we talk about work, when we talk about continuing to, to operate by faith and not, not fear, to trust and, and not panic, To yes, be prudent, but also when when we have conversations with our neighbors and friends to not be into the world, 
Everything is falling down. The whole world is going to crash. So you know what? I'm going to take steps. Hope you do too. Do what we can to prevent this. But you know what? Whatever comes or doesn't come, my hope is somewhere else. My trust is, is in, in the Lord. And so I don't have to lose my mind in these times. Like I see so many of our friends and co-workers doing that. That's the kind of conversation you can have. You can be light. You can be that even mind. <laughs> in a time of stress. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on lamps, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You have an opportunity to shine your light. When you love your neighbor and love your brother, there are families who are going to be struggling because school's out canceled. Child care may be hard to come by for them. Food may be hard to come by for some children. I know the city school system's trying to set up different spots where meals can be gotten and otherwise any of these things are happening, but you may have someone close to you who you can help. That's a moment to let that candle be set up on the lampstand and give light, isn't it? Who knows what good you might be able to do in winning that soul for Christ if you provide a little bit of help, if you're able to. Light, not darkness. The one thing that Christians cannot do is shut their doors, close their blinds, and pretend like the world doesn't exist because I'm only going to worry about me and mine. It's not who we are. This is not who we are. We're called to be people who walk by faith, not by fear. We're called to be people who show selfless love, not, not selfishness. And we're called to be light, not darkness. And so, yes, while we, we make plans and, and we prepare and, and we are cautious and careful. We don't stop living what we ought to live. Because of what is happening in the world around us. You know, stories are told during the Holocaust of the trains carrying the Jews to concentration camps where they were to be exterminated. And how some of those train tracks ran right by some of the German churches. And how at times those trains would come by those churches during the middle of their services on a Sunday. And how to muzzle out the sounds and the pleadings of the people on the trains. The congregants would just sing louder. There's a lesson there for all of us that even when times are difficult those who are gods that's what we're made for because we're living by faith because we're going to love selflessly 
and because we're going to be light. So as you make decisions over the next several weeks, we don't know how long this is going to impact our community, do we? We just don't. We pray that the warmth of the coming spring and otherwise helps with this as it tends to help the flu and other things. We pray that that's the case. But we don't know with certainty what is going to transpire. But we do know with certainty who is still sitting on his throne. And we do know with certainty who he still wants us to be, no matter what. And that, my brethren, is what I want to encourage you to consider today and over the next several weeks. We'll get through this. We've got faithful elders. We've got diligent volunteers who've been willing to clean and help. We've got each other. And we have our God. My friend, if you are struggling in sin right now, why don't you get that right? You know, there's something about a pandemic that will make you think about your mortality, isn't there? After 9-11, I remember folks flocking to religious services and this renewed sense of, of a need to be right and otherwise, but, but that, that faded, that moment passed, right? And this one will too. But if it has awakened in you a sense that I'm not right and I know I'm not right, don't let that moment pass. You haven't been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins this morning. You need to do just that. You need to find some salvation this morning in Him. And that's the beginning. Then you need to walk faithfully. And even in the middle of this, we can study and we can work together to help you on that walk. Brother, sister, if your life's not where it needs to be, get right. We say it every single Sunday. Get right. Repent. Find forgiveness at the throne of God. The opportunity is yours this morning. But I want us all to remember as Christians as we close us out. We are God's people. And let's not forget it. Especially when times get difficult. If you need to respond to an invitation, please come now as we stand and sing the song to encourage you.